Yes, okay. All right. Um, John 14, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, that wasn't bad. Not bad after all that turkey. All right. Um, now, we've been looking, we're in this section now, like John chapter 13 through 17, this like chunk of, of the Gospel of John. That, that chunk of the Gospel of John is sometimes referred to as the upper room discourse. I don't know why they had to put a big name on it. It's just what Jesus told them in the upper room. So, um, so it's in that upper room talk. And um, I find it very instructive what he told those people because what Jesus Christ says in these chapters, right, 13 through 17, is not directed to the world, not directed to the lost, not directed to the people out there, but it's directed to the disciples. It's directed to the followers, it's directed to the people who are in here. <laughs> That's you. If, you're a, if you know Jesus Christ, can I get an amen? amen. Right? And uh, hopefully you want to follow Jesus Christ too. If you know Jesus Christ, you want to follow him. That's why I think you're here today. That was one amen. Thank you, Pete. But um, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, can I get an amen? amen. Uh, a, little, a, little, a little weaker there, but I'll work up to it. So these chapters are for you. What he says here is for you. What he kind of unveils here and kind of breaks down here is really for us. And what Jesus Christ talks about in these, char in these, char in these chapters instructs us today you want to follow Jesus Christ. So I find them very important. John chapter 13 through 17. And it's interesting, in John chapter 14, in John chapter 15, and in John chapter 16, Jesus Christ gives his disciples invaluable insight on the coming Holy Spirit. Talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 14 and, and pick it up from verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Jump down to verse 26, 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Jump to chapter 15. Look at verse 26 of chapter 15. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Jump to chapter 16 and look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Wow. Those are some of the Bible's best passages on the Holy Spirit. That's some of the fullest mention of the Holy Spirit. And that tells me that if Jesus Christ spoke so much of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, the disciples need to hear this. You and I need to hear this. Now, in, and it means that his disciples need the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again for those of you who don't believe me. The disciples need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, we let some church groups steal our dedication to the Holy Spirit because some people abuse the Holy Spirit, make too much of the Holy Spirit, talk about things the Holy Spirit made you do that the Holy Spirit never made anybody do, in the Bible anyway. I mean, I'm just reading the Bible. The Holy Spirit never knocked somebody over and made them ride like a dog on the floor. Never happened in the Bible. 
right? Holy Spirit never made somebody bark in a foreign language some gibberish that nobody could understand. The Holy Spirit never did that in the Bible. Now, if that offends you, I'm just going to tell you the Bible. I'm not trying to be mean or crude or nasty. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit is an invaluable person to our walk as Christians, and it's not a surprise that the devil and his falsities have tried to corrupt who the Holy Spirit really is. So we're going to try to unpack that a little bit today. Because in all of the upper room, Jesus Christ speaks about the Holy Spirit in a future tense. Because he hadn't been given yet. Because Jesus was still there. But we're living in an age, and we're living in a dispensation. We're living in a period of time when the Comforter has come. He has been given. He is, you could say, that we're living in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. He births the church. He guides the church. He ministers to the church. He teaches the church. I mean, everything about our walk with Christ right now is predicated upon the Holy Spirit's help, the Holy Spirit's enabling, the Holy Spirit's ministry. So we're living now in what Jesus Christ was forecasting then. And what Jesus Christ told his disciples back then, we can experience today. So I'd like to talk for a couple of weeks maybe on the coming Holy Spirit. Who is he? What does he do? And why do disciples need him so desperately? And so I am think I'm just going to, I had visions of grandeur yesterday. I said, I'm going to try to do it all in one week. And then the Holy Spirit said, what are you smoking? Right? You know, just what are you doing? You had too much turkey. So I'm just going to try to think today about who is he? Like, what does Jesus say about his identity in these passages here? So let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit's help and the Lord helping us by his spirit. Father, we love you today, Lord, and we ask in Jesus' name that your spirit would guide us into all truth. Take us out of the way and show us Jesus Christ. Encourage the saints and draw a sinner to Jesus Christ. If anyone here is lost, may today be the day they call upon you. And we trust your spirit to give the increase. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So go back to John 14. I just got three little ideas here that Jesus brings up in this chapter. You like how I say that, three little ideas, like it's going to go fast. Like, you know, I just, sorry, you know, I don't want to lie. Uh, uh, but anyway, first thing I want to tell you about the identity of the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. You see that right there in John chapter 14, verse 16? Here's the inaugural address. Here's the first thing Jesus Christ tells us about this coming Holy Spirit. And he says in John 14, 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. The first thing Jesus Christ tells his disciples about the Holy Spirit is that he's called the comforter. In fact, four times in the upper room, the Lord calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter. And whenever you see God doing something four times, he's establishing a truth. He's laying a foundation like, the, like a house has four corners. When God gives you fourfold mentions, he's building a truth up. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John build up who Jesus Christ is. These four mentions of the Comforter show you that this coming Holy Spirit is the comforter. Why? Because the first thing those disciples needed from God was comfort. He was leaving, and they needed help. Good preacher, Brother Pat. Yeah, they needed help. They needed consolation. That's what they needed then. You know what they needed then? Is the same thing we need now. The first thing you need if you're going to be a disciple that you need the Holy Spirit to give you is comfort. You need relief. You need encouragement. You say, why? Because following Jesus Christ in a wicked world, and it's wicked out there. In case you haven't known, it's wicked. I know the parade was nice. I know the family get-togethers were nice. But the system out there is wicked. It's dead set against Jesus Christ. The fact that malls want to throw us out during Christmas for handing out tracts about the Christmas story should tell you that something's broken out there. To quote my friend Prince Hamlet, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Right? Something is broken in the world today that the time that's supposed to be about Jesus Christ, you don't want anybody telling anybody about Jesus Christ. Mm -mm -mm, you know? 
every other time we do that, <laughs> Super Bowl time, we're going to buy the Super Bowl plates for the Super Bowl party, right? Uh, Halloween time, we're going to buy the Halloween candy for the Halloween trick-or-treaters, right? But Christmas time, don't say anything about Jesus because what? <laughs> doesn't make any sense, does it? Some of you are actually thinking for the first time in a week. You're starting to think a little bit. Well, that doesn't make sense. You're welcome. It doesn't make sense. The world does not make sense. Amen. They are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs out there, right? That's what they are. And the sooner you embrace that, the sooner it will all make sense, all right? I need a bowl of Cocoa Puffs right now. So anyway, move on. Go to John chapter 15. Know what Jesus said about this world? How uncomfortable this world was going to be? John chapter 15, verse 18. Look what he said in that upper room. He said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, hallelujah, but I've chosen you out of the world, thank you, Jesus, therefore the world hateth you. Hey, Jesus warned his disciples, the world's going to hate you. He told them straight up, right? Right directly. wasn't anything mysterious about that verse, is there? Look at chapter 16, verse 2. <clears throat> they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Woo! Jesus went on to say the world would try and kill them and think that they were serving God by killing the disciples. That has gone on, that is going on, and that is yet to go on even further in the tribulation. All that stuff is real. Yes. That, doesn't that ever strike you? That people that are not violent, people that are kind and generous Christians, I mean real Christians around the world, are hunted and persecuted and killed. Does that work for you? Does that make sense in your head? Not rabble rousers. Nobody staging an insurrection with like antlers on their head. Nobody doing anything like that. We're talking about, which was, you know, some insurrection anyway. But anyway, but just people that want to help other people, give the gospel, be kind, follow the Nazarene, stand for righteousness, live holy. They're persecuted. They're in Laos right now. They're in North Africa right now. They're hunted now in Saudi Arabia. They're killed now in North Korea. That makes sense to you? Now, you don't feel that because you sit in America and they're not bringing a gun to your head, but step outside the confines of the USA. You feel it, right? We got friends, I mean, we got friends all over the world that feel it, that experience it, that know it. And Jesus said it was coming. So serving Jesus Christ in a wicked world is uncomfortable sometimes, so you need a comforter. What does a disciple need to follow the Lord in a world that is dead set against him? We need comfort. We need, you know what comfort is? Definition. Strength or support in distress. Difficulty, danger, infirmity. That's what comfort is. Aren't you glad that's what God sent? A comforter, not a tormentor, not a vexer, not an agitator, not a provocateur. He sent the comforter to give you that strength, to give you that relief, to give you that encouragement. You know, years ago we went camping. My kids were little and we had a little, I think it was a butane lamp. And, you know, you'd screw it in, the thing would go on, you put that little thingamabob, I forget what, that stanchion in there, and you psh, blows up, and it kind of gets lit up, and the top gets really hot. And one of my guys wobbled it. We were sitting at the camp table eating, having a good time, and he wobbled it, and me being a tutor goes, you know, said, let me not let this lantern fall on my son, let me just stop it. And I put my hand on the top of it, and I heard... You know, my hand lit up like bacon. I was like, oh, no. You know, I threw my hand on the water. I probably had a second-degree burn. All the nurses in the room were like, did you go to the hospital? No, I was in the woods. So I sat there, and, you know, I put something on it, and it was excruciating. It was, like, throbbing. It was, like, whoom, whoom. You know, it was killing me. But once that medicine kicked in, the comfort and the relief from the pain was amazing. 
It was almost like a almost almost like a buzz. You know, once the pain got the edge taken off and some comfort came in there, it just was like amazing relief. I know the world beats you up. I know the world burns you. I know the world sometimes just man, you just you put your hand out there and it's like you're trying to steady the thing and you just keep getting burned. But you know what the Holy Spirit does? He brings that comfort in and it's almost like, "Whew, I can handle this. I can I can go through this. I can I can do this." That's the comfort. And each of the four mentions of the comforter that Jesus uses points to the comfort he provides. Let's look at the first one in John 14, 16. Let's just break down what Jesus says in John 14, 16. He says, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter, not meaning himself, but another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. You know what the first thing that's great about this comfort is? That we get comfort because the Holy Spirit will never leave us. He may abide with you forever. Now that's kind of a revolutionary idea for those disciples. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon a person and left when that person fell into sin. Came upon a person and left, came and left, came and left. Didn't indwell like he indwells today. Doesn't live inside of you permanently like he does in the hearts of believers today. He came and left. I'll show you. I'll throw a few verses out at you. You could write them down. In Judges chapter 14, verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And he, you know, rents that kin. He does all those mighty works when the Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him. But then he falls into sin. He goes near that dead body. He doesn't repent. He doesn't bring that offering. And in Judges 16, it says, and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Came upon him, gave him supernatural strength. And then when Samson disregarded his vow, God took off. How about old man Saul, the first king of Israel? 1 Samuel eleven six 6 says, the spirit of God came upon Saul. And Saul, again, did some supernatural things. He got this supernatural strength. He did something amazing. And then Saul rejected the word of God, denied the word of God. And in 1 Samuel 16, 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. David. <laughs> David, it says of David, the spirit of the Lord came upon David when he was anointed king of Israel. And when he sinned with Bathsheba and he wrote that great Psalm 51, you know what he prayed in that Psalm? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because he knew that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit would leave. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't like hanging out in things that are not holy. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit would abide. You see that verse 16, he says, he would abide. He would remain. He would continue permanently. He would rest or dwell in the bodies of believers. You see verse number 16, he says, and he will abide with you forever. Jesus says the coming Holy Spirit would abide forever in the hearts and the bodies of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. He says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. Watch this now. Watch every word of God is pure. For he dwelleth with you, present tense. He was there in the midst. Of course, the spirit fills the whole earth, he says. And shall be future in you. The Holy Spirit that had only been with them would one day be in them. In the church age, when the body of Christ was born, God said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to put that Holy Spirit permanently in your body. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. I'll show you where he does that. You see, you have to appreciate, not me, you have to appreciate that this thing you're in called the New Testament church is a unique parenthetical in the plan of God. What he's doing today, he did not do in Isaiah's day. He will not do in the tribulation day. He didn't do in Moses' day. This thing called the body of Christ is a unique organism in the plan of God. And what he's doing now, you don't find in the book of Matthew. You don't find in the book of Mark. You don't find, you see it born at Pentecost. And then you see it continuing on to this day. 
Uh, this thing called the body of Christ, this spirit-filled believer with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 talks about it. Notice Ephesians is a book written to the body of Christ under Paul's ministry, which has all the information about the body of Christ in the book of Ephesians. And in verse 12, he says this, we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Have you trusted in Christ to be the payment for your sins? If you, amen, okay? That's salvation, by the way. It's not the church building. This isn't a church building. It's not any building. It's not, you know, cross yourself three times, anything like that. Salvation is, I trusted Christ as the payment for my sins. Not to give me a better life, but to get me out of hell. If you trusted Jesus Christ as the payment for your sins, you're going to get in verse 13 what he's talking about in verse 12. He says, in whom he also trusted. Paul says, I trusted. He goes, you guys trusted. I trusted. You guys trusted? Amen? Okay, so then we're in the same boat together. Okay. In whom he also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth. So you heard the gospel first. You heard something. Was it a tract, a friend, a church service, whatever. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He says, in the church age, in the body of Christ, the Comforter seals himself inside of you. That didn't happen in Judges. That didn't happen in Samuel. That's happening now. That's what Jesus prophesied. He's with you, and he shall be in you with the fulfillment of that prophecy. Right? Look at verse number uh, chapter 4, the same book. You know what Paul writes in another place? Go to chapter 4. He writes in 1 Corinthians that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You know what a temple is? The temple was a permanent dwelling. He calls your body two things. He calls it a tabernacle, and he calls it a temple. He calls your physical body a tabernacle when he wants to emphasize the temporary nature of this body. Now, one day you're going to put this tabernacle down and take up a new body. That's why in 2 Corinthians he calls it a tabernacle. Peter says, I must shortly put off this, my tabernacle, even as the Lord hath showed me. But when he talks about the Holy Spirit's residence, he calls your body a temple. Because a temple was a permanent dwelling. They took the staves out of the Ark of the Covenant because they said, we're not wandering in the wilderness anymore. God's going to stay right here. And when the Holy Spirit came in to reside inside your body, he took the staves out. He says, we're not wandering anymore. He called your body a temple of the Holy Ghost because he's staying there. You see chapter 4, verse 30? He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. <laughs> you see, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Some of you do a really good job of that. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you can be grieved. Why is he going there again? Why is she looking at that again? Why is he saying that again? Why is she listening to those idiots again? Because that Holy Spirit's inside of you. And that that you get is the Holy Spirit going, what are you doing? It's like, you know, Cher from Moonstruck. Snap out of it. She's trying to slap you in the face. Those of you that are under 30 have no idea what I'm talking about. But, you know, just trying to snap you out of it because everywhere you go, you take him with you. Amen. Right? You're going to go to the club and shake your money maker. Guess what? You're going to shake it with him inside you. Right? You're going to go to the bar and try to drown your sorrows in something. Guess what? You're going to take him with you. You're going to go get on the phone and gossip with somebody this afternoon? Guess what? He's right inside of you listening to everything. And he's making a list. And he's checking it twice. And he knows who among God's people are naughty and nice. Because Jesus Christ is coming to town. And guess who gives the report? The Holy Spirit gives the report. So you'd behoove you to try to grieve him less. Because you can grieve him. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. But the Holy Spirit cannot leave. He says, I'm there unto the day of redemption. Unto the day I call you home, I'm there living inside the bodies of believers. Isn't that a comfort? Amen. What a comfort to know that he'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. You piss off your friend, guess what? That friend may not be your friend anymore. You grieve the Holy Spirit, he's still there. Amen. He's still trying to restore. He's still pleading with you. Now you can quench him and you can grieve him. Those are the two things you could do to him. First Thessalonians, you can quench him. Ephesians 4, you can grieve him. 
but he's not leaving. He's with you to the end of the line. Right? Go back to John chapter 14. Let me show you some other things the Holy Spirit does. Right? That was the first mention. That's the big one. Let me show you what else he does real quick. Right? Real quick. John chapter 14, 26. These all kind of stick with you now. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? You know what that Comforter does? He doesn't just stay there. He reminds you of Jesus Christ. He reminds you of the Bible. When your head starts spinning, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember that promise? God's a very present help. Remember that promise? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Remember that promise? Remember, if God be for us, who could be against us? Remember that promise? No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Remember that promise? I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Remember that promise? He said, guys, guys, wake up, remember? That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why you got to put some gas in the tank so the Holy Spirit can reach for that verse and say, hey, remember that verse you heard about? Remember that verse you memorized in discipleship? Now you're going to need it, son. Now you got to lay hold of it. You're stuck it in there, and the Holy Spirit says, let me just find something. Here, you need this verse. It'll help you. He brings those things to your remembrance. Am I the only one that's ever had that happen to you? Where you're just doing something, going through something, and the verse just comes flying in your mind? Whoa. What time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. Ooh. Psalm 56.3. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor death, nor life, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate you, be from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 36 and 38. Ooh, I like that one, God. Holy Spirit brings that one up. You know what that is? That's comfort. Reminding you of what God has said. That's what Jesus said the comforter would do. Because you and I are not always going to have our face in the Bible. And when the world hits you, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to whoop. Remember that verse? Remember that verse? Amen. That girl walks by, that guy walks by, the Holy Spirit says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why shouldn't should I look upon a maid? <laughs> right? That Holy Spirit, you're going to say that wrong thing? The Bible says, let no filthy communication come out of your mouth. Yeah. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And you're like, Ugh. that's why people don't want to read their Bible. That's why people don't want to memorize those verses because you stick them down in there and the Holy Spirit says, oh, look at all these things I have to grab from. Whoop. And he brings them up and puts them in your mind. That's why you'd rather not, not memorize the Bible, not read it, because you stick it in there. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, look at all these wonderful verses. Boom, boom. And just puts them out in your mind. John chapter 15. Let me show you something else the Holy Spirit does. Verse 26. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He testifies of Jesus Christ. Any good preaching has got to point people to Jesus Christ. If it's pointing you to somebody else or something else or the ministry or the church or the pastor, that is not the right spirit. If it's pointing you to good works or self-sufficiency, that is not the right gospel. Everything the Holy Spirit does is testify of Jesus Christ. It's his spirit, right? So if it's not pointing people to Jesus Christ, what spirit is it of? I wonder. And then John chapter 16, verse number seven. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He fills the void left by Jesus Christ. He's, I'm leaving. Your captain, your champion, your savior, your miracle worker, your friend to the end, I've got to leave, but the Holy Spirit will fill that void. That Holy Spirit will comfort you in my absence. And oh, don't you look forward to the day when you can see Jesus Christ face to face. Don't you look forward to the day when you can lay hold of him the way those disciples grabbed his ankles on the road after his resurrection. Oh man, just to, I'd be happy to grab a toe or a foot right now if I could just see the real Jesus Christ. Man, what a day that will be, right? When you actually look upon his face. You know who keeps you going in that interim? The Holy Spirit. Because you long to see him, don't you? Come on. Don't you long to see him? The one that wore your crown. The war that was pierced for your things. The one that was, you know, crucified in your place. 
the one that has been with you ever since and tried to fill your mind with good things and told you to think on these things, that one that's tried to comfort you and strengthen you and only always wanted the best for you, you don't want to look upon that Savior who's praying for you right now. If you don't want to look upon him, you need to check your salvation. You need to check your heart. You got to check something because something's a leak in somewhere. <laughs> you might be saved, but you might have sprung a leak or something. I don't know because something in you has got to be like, I do want to see him. I do want to see him. I know what it means. I know the implication of it. But still, like we said last week, it'll be far better. He said, Lord, I can't wait to see you. He says, I know. The Holy Spirit will keep you going until that time. He fills the void. You know, I I learned this in, in psychology a little bit when I had to do some classes to be a teacher. Um or at least fake some classes to be a teacher. But I heard them talking about children with insecure attachments. Children with insecure attachments to their parent figures tend to be anxious, depressed, and less able to cope with stress. You ever see that kid, mommy leaves the room, ah, they melt down. You know what that is? That's an insecure attachment. They don't trust that mommy or daddy will really be there when they can't see them. Psychologists know it. They call it an insecure attachment. They got other names for it. But the mark of it is a child that's anxious, depressed, and unable to cope with stress. I think a lot of God's people have an insecure attachment. You don't really think that the Father is there when you can't see Him. You don't really believe that He's there because you can't see Him. And He leaves the room like Jesus departed the earth. And some of God's the people, some of God's children are anxious, depressed and unable to cope with stress because we don't really believe that he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us in that interim because we can't see him. But a child of God draws strength in trouble from his secure attachment to the comforter. If you could settle it in your mind that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, if you could settle it in your mind that he will never leave thee nor forsake thee, if you could settle it in your mind that he's with you always, even unto the end of the world, if you could rest your naked soul on the truth that Jesus Christ has got you, you'd be able to handle a lot more. You'd be able to navigate a lot more. You'd be able to walk a lot more. If you could, I say, I can't see you, Father. He said, I know. Walk by faith. I just wish I could touch you, Father. He said, you could touch me. Pray. You reach out and touch my love and mercy. The Holy Spirit is there. The comforter has come. Go to John 14 again. Let me say something else about who this Holy Spirit is. He's the comforter. And secondly, John 14, verse 16, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a power. See what he says right there in John 14, 16? Even the Spirit, uh, uh, and I'll pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Jesus Christ uses the personal pronoun He, English lesson, because the Holy Spirit is a person. See verse 17? Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Again, Jesus uses the personal pronouns, him and he, because the Holy Spirit's a person. And just for good measure, look at John chapter 16, look at verse number 13, as if God didn't want to smack us over the head with this truth, he's going to do it right here. John chapter 16, verse 13, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. I mean, he keeps going. He shall glorify. It's he, it's he, it's he. Not an it. Not a thing, not a force. And one of the biggest errors out there today about the Holy Spirit is how cults deny the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And it's trickled into our culture. I'm a Jedi, like my father before me, but guess what? We've watched a little too much Star Wars thinking we just use the force to serve God. The Holy Spirit's not a force. Now we think that, right? No, I'm just gonna, you know, give that person this tract and give them the, you know, the Ouija or something like that. Mm, No. It's not the Vulcan death grip. It's not the force. It's not any of that stuff. It's a person. It's a person, folks. 
But the world has been teaching he's a force, he's an it. You want to hear some quotes? I'll give you some. The Watchtower, that's the organization that produces the materials for the Jehovah's Witnesses who knock on your door, or you see them on the, in the park somewhere, bless you. It says, quote, the Holy Spirit is the active force of God. It is not a person, but is a powerful force that God causes to emanate from himself. I give you the citation from where it comes from if you want it. That's a lie. Mary Baker Eddy founded the Christian science movement, and Mary Baker Eddy characterized the Holy Spirit as divine science. Science, science, science. What does that mean, divine science? Holy chemistry. Like, what does that mean? Parley Pratt, who really regretted his name, but Parley Pratt was one of Mormonism's original apostles way back in the day. He described the Holy Spirit as a force like magnetism or electricity. He further spoke of the Spirit as a divine fluid and impersonal energy. What? You see chapter 14, verse 26? You see 14, 26? But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I never got any comfort from magnetism. Right? When I, t- when I walk across that rug of yours and touch a doorknob and get zapped, I'm like, whoa, that feels good. I just feel so blessed, God, that I shocked myself. Right? No. Electricity never comforted my soul. Divine fluid. Holy water? I don't know. I mean, what is that? Divine fluid. That never blessed anybody. I am glad the doctors could explain to me at Sloan Kettering how the chemo works. I'm happy they know what they're doing. I'm happy they're not like, yeah, we're just going to dump this stuff in there and just wish for the best. No, I'm glad they have a, a plan and they know the chemistry and they know the theory. I thank God for that. Praise God for that. But that didn't comfort me. I got comfort knowing my great physician could make the chemo work. Amen. See that? That's where the comfort comes from. Thankful for the doctors. Don't hate on them. Would kiss their feet if they were here right now. Thankful for Dr. Shukla and the team of people that worked on my son. Thankful. But I know what side my butter was breaded on, or my bread was buttered on, what I'm supposed to say there. I know who, I know who did it. God makes that stuff work. Because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And I'm thankful that God had mercy. He said, I'm going to make it work. And the fact that you could take a Tylenol and get rid of a headache is just as much a miracle as if you walked on water. Because there's some people that take that medicine that doesn't do anything. Who makes it work? It's, it's my great physician. And that's what gives me comfort, not the divine fluid, not the impersonal energy. What is that stuff? It's nonsense. You know what somebody said one time? When life caves in, you do not need reasons. You need comfort. You do not need some answers. You need someone And Jesus does not come to us with an explanation. He comes to us with his presence. It's his presence that comforts us. The fact that he says, I'm with you. I will never leave thee. That assurance, you know what that does? Oh, that settles the temperature down. That kind of brings the nerves down. Look at John 14, 16. You know who that person is? John 14, 16, he says, I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another comforter. Right? Then in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Connect the dots, people. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. It's His Spirit that comes to comfort us. See, the Bible, when you you finally settle it in your heart that every word of God is pure, it'll revolutionize your Bible reading and your Bible study. When you start to realize that every word is there because God wanted it to be there and preserved it to be there, not because of the scribes and the scholars who preserved it for you. No, because God's Holy Spirit preserved it for you. When you realize that you've got every word that God wants you to have, you might look at that book a little differently. And in John chapter 14, verse 26, you're going to see how precise Jesus Christ is because in speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit, he calls him the Holy Ghost. That's important because a ghost is the spirit of a dead man. And the spirit of God is the Holy Ghost because it's the spirit of the crucified Christ. 
it's the spirit of a man that would die and rise again. And Jesus Christ knew he was leaving them. He knew he was leaving them to die. And he said, my spirit will return to comfort them. Go to Romans 8. I'll show you again that the spirit of God is the spirit of Christ. Romans 8. Look at verse number 8. Romans 8, verse 8. This great chapter on the Holy Spirit, Romans 8. You see, we slip a lot of preaching in, but we also try to teach the Bible here on Sunday, right? And on Thursday, and on some Saturday mornings, right? We preach and we teach. We want you to know why you believe what you believe. Don't just, not just because I said so, that's a bad place to be. You got to know because the Bible said so. You got to be able to feed yourself with that book. Because I can't always be there, and a deacon can't always be there. But you know what? God is always there. That Holy Spirit is always in that book. You just got to open it up and learn how to feed yourself. Romans 8, verse 8, the Bible says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Self-explanatory, I think. But ye, talking to Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You see how the Bible teaches there in verse 9? Verse 9. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 9. you got to have the Spirit of Christ in you. You see that? That's equating the Spirit of God with the Spirit of Christ. He's saying, if you have the Spirit of Christ living inside of you, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't have God. Because Jesus is God. Connect the dots. That's how the Bible works. That type of interchange. That's how you get the connective tissue. That's how you see what God is saying. He says, Spirit of Christ over here. Spirit of God over here. Because I and my Father are one. And I know you might be religious. And you might be well-intentioned. And you might be here with all the right motivation for being here. But I'm telling you, based on that verse, if the Spirit of Christ doesn't live inside of you, you're as lost as anyone else out there because you don't have God. You get God when you get the Spirit of Christ coming into your body at the moment of salvation. That's Bible. That's Bible. You say, why has it got to be the Spirit of Christ? Because who else is going to comfort you? I mean, who else wants to comfort you but the Savior that died for your sins? Of course it's his spirit. Of course it's his presence. Of course it's him. He's the one that gave his life for you, shed his blood for you, knows your sins before you even could count them. It's that's the spirit that wants to comfort you. The one that went to the cross for you, that's the spirit that wants to embrace you now. That's the spirit that's pleading with you now. If you're not saved, what spirit is trying to get you to come to Christ? The spirit of Christ. (laughs) The one that nailed his arms wide open and said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's the one that's saying, come and get saved. Stop fighting it. Stop resisting it. Stop making excuses up. Just get saved. Just get this sin thing settled so you can go on with your life and know that heaven is your home. What's that? That's the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of God. What spirit wouldn't tell you that? You know what I mean, Jelly Bean? (laughs) What spirit would say, nah, that's just religion. Nah, you could do it another day. Nah, that's an interesting sermon, but I got to go have lunch and I'll think about it. If the spirit of God is saying, come, what spirit is saying, put it off and wait and don't do it or he's crazy? There's another spirit out there in the world. Spirit of the devil, the spirit of antichrist, the spirit of the evil one is out there. And he says, just as much as the Spirit of God is trying to draw you, the Bible says that spirit that working in the children of disobedience is trying to blind you from the gospel. Now, go to Romans 8, look at verse 16. Let me give you a nugget here. I got time for, I got time for a nugget or two, and then I'll be done. Because you're going to come across some real slick religious people. They call themselves Bible scholars. And they'll say, oh, you got that King James Bible, huh? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, well. You know, in Romans 8, 16, <clears throat> your Bible <clears throat> says the Spirit itself. And then in verse 26, dear simple one, It says again, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself 
Make an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Tell me, dear Neanderthal Christian, if that King James Bible is really pure and preserved words of the living God, how come it mistranslates himself to be itself? I mean, why would, if this is a, if the Holy Spirit's a person, why does the King James Bible call him an it? In Romans 8, verse 16 and 26. Hmm? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> what spirit is that? To that spirit, to that Bible scholar, sanctified and separated, I'd say, well, have you not read Genesis 3.15? Where Jesus Christ is called an it in the messianic promise? Well, I didn't think of that. No, you didn't think. That's the answer. Have you not read Luke 135, where the child in Mary's womb is called a holy thing? Very interesting, isn't it? You want the answer, folks? Some of you are on the edge of your seat. Give me the answer. When Jesus Christ speaks about the person of the Holy Ghost, he refers to him in John. When Paul writes about the work of the Holy Spirit, he refers to it in Romans. That's it. The work, you could talk about the office of the president. The office of the president, it's a dutiful job. If I talk about the office and the work of the president, I say it. It's a tough job. When I talk about the president as a person, I say himself. And when I talk about the Holy Ghost, the spirit of a dead man, the person of Christ in the spirit, I say he. When Paul's giving us the information about what the Holy Spirit does, bears witness, makes intercession, he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, not the ghost, the spirit, he says it. No problem, no contradiction, no uh, mistake, right? I didn't even have to go to the Greek. I didn't even have to tell you that the Greek word for spirit is neuter in that verse. It's it. So of course they're going to say itself. I didn't have to tell you that. All you need to know is the person is he and the work is it, just like the president. The work of the president, it's a tough job. Guess what? The person of the president, he's a tough job, right? So there it is. All right, Tori said this. If we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of and use me? That's the question. And finally and quickly, John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. Making any sense so far? Yeah. I know some of you thought there for a little bit. I know you got some mental agita going on, but it'll be any question you could ask me anytime, call me anytime, pick up a rock and throw at me, I'll duck. All right. Last thing I want to say, and this will be brief. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Amen. He cannot lie, and he only tells you the truth. See there, every time the Lord talks about the coming Holy Spirit in these passages, he calls him the spirit of truth, every time. See right there in John 14, 17, he says it there. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. In a world that is full of lies, the Holy Spirit always tells you the truth. We disciples need to hear that. Because sometimes we get our heads spinning. We don't know which way is up. He says, whatever I've told you, that's the truth. Verse chapter 15, verse 26. He says it again. John 15, 26, he says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Amidst all the false testimonies of our day, the Holy Spirit always presents the truth. We got so many false testimonies. Do you really know what's going on in the world? Oh, so I know because I watch. Oh, yeah, you believe them? Well, I got this special channel. Oh, you believe them? How do you know what's going on anywhere? The world is full of false presentations, false this, false that, false flags, all this false stuff. God says, whatever I testify to you, 
it's the truth. That's a comfort. Look at John chapter 16, verse number 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He says, as you navigate all the fake news, the Holy Spirit always leads you into truth. All right? I mean, we got, there's so much information out there. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, I think, that there'd be an increase of information in the last days. And there's so much information out there. You and I could just take a rock and just throw it and hit a thousand news stations, right? And I don't mean just like the big three or four. You got your little fringe news stations, your alternative media. You got everybody with an IP address and a YouTube channel. They got a news station now. And I know it's so much information. How do you know what's really true? How do you know? You know the only thing I know is true? That book is true. That's all I really know is true. And then my wife loves me. Right? That, I know that's true. Right, babe? Yes, it's true. I definitely know my dog loves me. I know my dog always loves me. Because he is always so happy to see me when I walk in the door. Sometimes my wife will be like, why are you talking to the dog? We're in the car driving home. I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about walking in the door. And my little copper, he's going to jump on me right this afternoon. I'm thinking about it now. It's making me happy. Because he's happy. I know that's true. Right? I know that's true. The dog still likes me. That's true. But everything else... But that book, I know you like Tucker too. I don't know if he's always telling the truth. You know, I know you like this guy over here, and you got your special stations. I know, but how do you know what's true? You know that book is true. You know everything that book says is true. I think John Knox said, give me a candle and a Bible and put me in a cave and I'll tell you what's going on in the world. That book is the truth. And if you're going to follow Jesus Christ like a disciple should now more than ever, you need the spirit of truth. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is called the father of lies. That's all he spews. That's all he creates. That's all he begets is lies. He's the father of it, Jesus said. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe him? You're going to believe something else. You want to go to heaven? Trust Jesus Christ. You want to go to hell? Trust something else. Who's telling you not to trust him? Wasn't that Bible? Wasn't the one that got whipped and died for your sins? Another spirit's out there. The father of lies is out there, walking to and fro, seeking to devour. You know what he does it with? He doesn't do it with a pitchfork and horns. He does it with disinformation. Just lies upon lies and lies that don't look like lies. They got a little bit of truth wrapped into it. Somebody says, I got to work my way to heaven. Well, there's a little bit of truth in there. It is good works that got you to heaven, but it's not your good works. It's Christ's good works. It's a little bit of truth wrapped in those lies. I'm telling you, man, you got to watch. And the devil's the God of this world, right? Right? That means... This world is built on misinformation. That means you're living in the matrix right now. You're walking through the matrix right now. You've all been red-pilled if you read that Bible. And everybody that doesn't follow that Bible, what are they doing? They're all saying the same thing. And they all sound nuts to us. Like, what? You think any bathroom's an okay bathroom to go into? What? You think that's, huh? Huh? You identify as a witch? You want to marry a who? Oh, it's not pedophilia anymore. It's just age attraction. No, it's perversion. It's sickness. It's twisted. It's evil. When that movie came out a little while ago, The Sound of Freedom, about all those pedophile rings, now it's all coming out that the pedophiles, and they, oh no, there's no such thing as that. <laughs> that stuff's not happening. You're living in a world predicate that's built on evil, Amen. built on a devil that's good at hiding in the shadows. Why wouldn't there be sick, twisted things like that going on in the background? I, I didn't even see the movie yet. I know I should, but I know that stuff is real. Why? Because I read my Bible. Amen. Didn't you read what they did to the kids in the, in the Old Testament? 
how they offered them to Moloch, how they made them part of their child sacrifice. Oh, that was barbaric stuff that happened right now. Baby, we just as pagan as they were back then. If you don't think so, just give me what you're smoking because I want a little puff of that magic dragon so I can go back to sleep like you are. I'm not trying to scare you now. I'm just trying to say we're living in an evil world, a world that's a network of lies. I need truth to cut through it. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll be your spirit of truth. I'll guide you into all truth. That all was not in the notes. So if you want to strike all that stuff out, you can forget about it. I'm almost done. And you know what's the most scary thing of all? The heart, the mind, inside your, your old nature is deceitful, the Bible says. You can't even trust your own thoughts. Proverbs 28, 26 says, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Would you trust a liar? Say, no, I wouldn't trust a liar. Why do you trust what you think? If I lie to you, see me on, uh, I'll, see me on Tuesday, I'll give you that hamburger. You show up on Tuesday, no hamburger. Oh no, see me on Wednesday, I'll give you that hamburger. No hamburger on Wednesday. If I tell you to come on Thursday for the hamburger, you really are a sucker if you think the hamburger is going to be there on Thursday. He says, I'm not going to believe him. He's a liar. God told you your heart is deceitful above all things. It's the most tricky, slippery liar you got, the one that lives inside your ears. Why would you listen to it? Why would you believe it? Why would you rely on it? You're a fool, the Bible says, if you do that. 1 John 3.20 says, our heart condemns us. You know why? Because it plagues us with evil imaginations, evil thoughts, wrong thoughts, foolish thinking, different thinking, thinking that's contrary to that book. Why would we believe it? The spirit of truth doesn't want you to believe that. The spirit of truth says, no, what I've told you is true. Think on these things. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. He says, think what I told you. Think these thoughts. And we say, well, I just think. Those are the three most deadly words a Christian ever said. The Bible says, but I just think. What? What do you just think? What does that five-pound sponge inside your skull think that is better than the inerrant words of the living God? Please tell me. I want to hear it. No, seriously, I want to hear it. Well, I just think, what? I just thought something yesterday that I think is wrong today. Could you be wrong about this right now? Well, I just think if God... Listen, if everything there was to know, if you knew half of everything there was to know, is it possible that God's truth exists in the other half? Maybe there's something you don't know yet that God wants to show you. You see, what happens is, Corey Ten Boom said, the human spirit fails except when the Holy Spirit fills. Your mind's going to fail you, and the Holy Spirit's going to try to help you. That's why Jesus Christ gave us the spirit of truth, because we can't live the Christian life without him. And the spirit of truth will always point us to Jesus Christ, who is the truth. John 14, 6. And the spirit of truth will only speak through God's words, which are truth. John 17, 17. Jesus would say, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. The Bible tells us all scripture is given by inspiration. God breathed. God's spirit is in that book. You say, where does God talk? Open up your Bible and you'll see what he says. The comforter has come. We sing that great song. The comforter has come. The comforter has come. The Holy Ghost from heaven. The Father's promise given. Oh, spread the tidings round. Wherever man be found, the comforter has come. He's not walking across your backyard. He's not a feeling that comes across your belly. He's in a book. His words are written down and he comforts you, the Bible says, with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort yourselves together with these words. That's where the comfort comes from. Are you getting enough of these words? The Holy Spirit's words? How else can you be filled with the spirit of truth? How else can you feel the comforter's presence but feeling them through the words that the comforter gave us in a book? 
A.W. Tozer said this years ago. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church back then, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. How about you? Would you know the difference? Are you more aware of your Wi-Fi signal than the Holy Spirit? Are you more sensitive to a piece of glass in your pocket than the Holy Spirit of God moving and directing your steps? Are you more reliant on your wit, your GPS in your car than God's Spirit to steer your walk? We're screwed up, saints. We got this whole thing backwards. We're so lost in Laodicea that we think, I'm just going to do it for you, God. God says, no, I got to do it through you, son. And I do it by my spirit. Do you know how much you need the Holy Spirit? Or are you lost in the self-sufficiency of Laodicea? That's the question for you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.